This podcast is brought to you with support from The Big Idea, New Zealand's online hub for creative people. The Big Idea aims to support talented, innovative individuals and organisations and advocates for creativity as an essential ingredient in the cultural and economic wealth of New Zealand. Their website is thebigidea.nz. This episode is also brought to you by We Are Braves, a photography company that creates artistic, beautiful images that will boost your self-esteem and celebrate the real you. We Are Braves offers portrait, boudoir and body art packages and the team will work closely with you to bring your vision to life. A great idea for a gift for your loved ones or simply a gift for yourself. Visit wearebraves.co.nz to find out more. And while you're listening to this episode, check out Chris Campbell Custom Shop. Chris Campbell's extensive experience in the music world allows him to produce guitars, effects and amplifiers that are simply right from the first moment you play them. The website is chriscampbellcustomshop.com. And last but not least, Rockbox Electronics produce some of the finest guitar pedals we've come across. My favourite is the Baby Blues. Rockbox Electronics are committed to creating the greatest sounds in rock using the best of vintage and modern technologies. Check them out at rockbox.com. So welcome along, uh, welcome, welcome to, welcome along to Danny. (laughs) I love it when you do that. (laughs) It's like a Bobby special. I'm going to leave that in, right? That's perfect. (laughs) You know, if you guys have been here before, you know what we're trying to say. All right. (laughs) So here we all are. Here we all are. Yes. And I know why you're, you're tripping over your words because you're so irate. You're irate. I'm livid. At a, a technological uh, challenge that you are frequently presented with. And I've also had it bite me on the ass a little bit too recently. I call it te- technological fuckery. Hey, hey, don't get too technical. <laughs> <laughs> to be specific, <laughs> technical fuckery. So I didn't, um, I've had an iPhone, I had till recently an iPhone 6. Right. I guess since it came out. So I don't know how long ago that was, five, six years ago? Yeah. Because they're up to what, iPhone 20 now? <laughs> and. The, um, the battery just kept going dead on it, and um, right. I had to charge it three times a day. It's like, oh, fuck this, get rid of it. Was it one of those recall phones? No, no, I think the battery was just, they don't last very long. Oh, okay. Uh, and so I went and bought a second-hand iPhone 7. Okay. Without realising that it didn't have a headphone port. Right. Oh, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. Oh, that's why I held off getting one. I've still got a 6S, because I can't be bothered with that. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't have those um, Bluetooth wireless earphone things. So the fucker that sold you the phone sold you the phone without the Bluetooth things. Well, I don't know if they come standard, do they? Uh, I don't know. if they. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they come with the phone. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. Huh. Motherfucker. He just kept a spare one for himself. <laughs> well, I'm not going to comment on that because it's a friend of my wife's from work. But um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I realised that I can't charge the phone and listen to things at the same time because I have to have an adapter to plug my earpiece into the bottom of the f- fucking phone. So an adapter goes into the power port and, the and, power, and then converts the into a mini jack out. Is that what you're saying? Thunderbolt thing. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Right, right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and what, so what's your um, your thing recently with technology? Oh, well, is it Apple, Apple specific? It, it, well, it, I guess it is Apple. Well, I've got an Apple. I've got an iPhone. Uh, I've got yeah. I've got the 6s, and I had the battery recall thing. I had to go get the battery swapped out because the battery kept dying. So that that was fixed. And they, you probably remember, some time ago they changed the way that you get into the phone. So you no longer swiped. You had to press the home button, right? And people at mm. the time were saying, "Well, you know what they're doing? They're getting you to overuse the home button so it stops working." And I was, I was like, well, it sounds a little bit like a kind of a conspiracy to me. I don't know if that's, if that's really true. But my home button stopped working. 
about a month ago. Oh, right. And so then I found this workaround. Um, and if anyone's having this issue, look it up because there is a workaround. You can go into the settings and you can get like a temporary digital home button to appear on the screen that works the same as the actual home button. Cool. It's kind of a, it's a little bit annoying to use, but it means you don't actually have to use the physical home button. So it's right. it's good to know there's an option there. Um, so I was using that for a while, uh, which I actually got completely used to this this little button hovering on the screen the whole time, mm. and then that started to oh, so that was now the home button was completely dead, and then the power thing the input where you put the power cable into, mm. whatever you call that, stopped working properly. So I, I would have my phone on charge for a couple of hours not realising it wasn't actually charging because it wasn't clicked in properly. Mm. Um, and so then I go, well, I have, it is a success. I've had it, I don't know how long these phones have been out, maybe three or four years or something. And I thought, well, maybe it's time to get a new phone. Thinking like, mm-hmm. when I, I think when I got the success, I think I, I think I just paid a few hundred bucks and got the plan or something, something like that. And right. now, n- now the new models, uh, like the, one of the cheaper ones I was looking at was $1,400. Yeah. And if you get on it, if I get a new plan, then you pay like $60 a month or whatever over a couple of years, it adds up to $1,400. So you don't, <laughs> so, and, I'm, I, and you're locked into a provider. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and so I mean I don't know exactly what I'm complaining about right now. I don't know if I'm complaining about the home button or, or the the power input or the fact that phones are fourteen hundred fucking dollars. Oh no, they're, they're they're worse than that. No, no, they're, they're more expensive than that. Those new foldable Samsung ones, is it Samsung? Yep, the ones that don't work. They're three grand. Three? Are they? They're three grand, and you can bend them and fold them, and then they. F- breaking within three days <laughs> so you know I, look i understand the need for companies to keep having to release new things to keep their i don't know to keep the economy running i mean imagine if every product lasted forever yeah the economies would come to a grinding halt i get of course, that of course and we live in a consumer society but that doesn't make it any less convenient when you're trying to get shit done when I, i'm trying to open up my laptop and skype and the laptop's too old that it doesn't use the, doesn't have the latest version of Skype, and it won't go on my laptop because that's too old. Yeah. Uh, or and another thing that that's just happened to me, like I was telling you that this week I was trying to do some recording because I'm at home. I've got some leave that I've taken during the holiday break. Right. And um, tried to start Pro Tools, and it just won't start. Oh, and there's no. I thought you were going to say that explanation. I know why. Isn't why? Because the latest OS update, assuming you've done it, um, doesn't work with Pro Tools. Pro Tools doesn't work on it. No, this is a Windows. I haven't updated the OS on the Windows. Oh, computer. okay, right. So you're not on a Mac. So I moved it. I moved well. I, I moved off a of Mac because everything was just kept shitting itself. Ah, like you know, like all the laptops I've been through over the years. So I just went, oh, screw that. I've got a you know pretty powerful um, Windows tower. So I just started using that as a, a music computer. Yeah. But inexplicably, just one day, Pro Tools just stopped. Right. And. There's no error message. It just won't load. It just goes, you know, it just gives you a message that's not going to open up, and it just crashes. And you haven't changed anything. You haven't done anything different. Haven't changed. Haven't changed a single thing. Wow. And um, but then I did realise that there's an update for Pro Tools that came out a couple of days later. Ah. In the past, when I've had problems with Pro Tools, um, and actually to be fair, I don't get much recording time out of Pro Tools at all before it starts to shit itself. Weird. You know, like I'll get, I, I know, I normally get a couple of months and then for some reason it just completely shits itself. Huh. But I'm, you know, call me paranoid, but a couple of days later they came up with an update and I was like, oh man, if I just bought the update, I bet it will fix the problem I'm having. Because either way, you've got to pay $100, whatever it is, just to get them to answer, a, to buy a ticket for support with Pro Tools. What? Yeah, something like that. Some $199 US or something just to get them to, to reply to you about an issue that you're having. That's crazy. And then the issue could be, 
well, um, your computer's not, comp- not compatible. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know, th- and you just paid 100 bucks for them to tell you to fuck off, basically. <laughs> but back on your earlier point uh, about understanding that te- technology needs to progress and companies to try things, like I think you're absolutely right. When the foldable phones started coming, they started talking about it, it was on the way. I mean, I thought, well, what's the point of that? I don't need that. But, you know, of course, developing that technology means that other possibilities are opened up and whatever. But I, I, I just feel like they're now so focused on trying to push ahead, they've forgotten to focus on the customer experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And one thing I loved about Apple in, in, in the early 2000s when they launched the iPod and eventually the iPhone and everything was that they were all about the customer experience. And it seems that, you know, with Steve Jobs passing and the company trying to move on, they've sort of forgotten that ethic, you know? Yeah, they're more concerned yeah. about their own agenda and not about the customer's agenda. And I, just to take a complete left turn here, I have the same complaint about a lot of the agencies that book bands in, right. in uh, well, at least in Auckland, um, and it's probably a problem worldwide, I guess. I I've stopped working with a number of them because I've realised that they don't care about the show being good, the clients being happy, you know, the audiences being happy. They're just clipping the ticket. They don't really care. They don't want anything that's difficult. They don't want to go above and beyond to make things work properly. They just want to clip the ticket and knock it through, you know? Yes. And I'd get messages just saying, you're free on this date. And I'd say, well, I'm available. What's the, where's the venue? What, what are the load-in times? You know, whatever. What, what are the details? Mm-hmm. And it would, be, yeah. it would almost be like, oh, for God's sake, you're asking questions? <laughs> it, was that kind of, it was that kind of attitude. I'm like, well, hang on. <laughs> How dare you? Don't you want the work? Yeah. And, and there is that kind of, it's almost like a bullying culture where right. it's almost based on the presumption that musicians are so desperate that yeah. don't ask a question, just do the fucking job. Yeah, yeah, you're the hired hand. You don't, you don't get to question these things. Right. So why is it that music mm. agencies and also, you know, phone companies have forgotten about the customer? Tell me, Bobby. Why is it? Tell me. Tell me I now. Don't, no, Tell I me can't now. Answer you. I can't answer that question for you, but I do know there's um, also that's, that extends to the internet service provider world. Right. And I, and I will say that, Stupidly, I stayed with Orcon for so many years and they gave the shittiest service. <laughs> they had the shittiest internet speeds. And we have fiber. Um, right. Like the fiber that goes to our house is still the same thing. We've got a new service now and it is so markedly different. Yeah. You know, the, the customer service is great. Right. The um, speeds are phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but fucking Orcon, man. That was the worst experience I've ever had. And they did not give a shit. And, and also Vodafone. Right. Part of the reason I moved off Vodafone um, and on to Two Degrees is because they didn't seem to give a shit. Wait, you've, you've moved to Two Degrees? I have. Wow. And my internet too. And it works? Oh, yeah. That's amazing. It's brilliant. Yep. Wow. So surprising. No, and they're really, really good with customer service. Um, but those big guys just don't seem to give a shit. And if you just go to their, to their Facebook page and you just see complaint after complaint after complaint <laughs> after complaint, yeah, um, that's a, a good uh, indication. I like it how in, so, the, in the early days of the podcast – um, if we ever went anywhere near like naming a company or an individual or something in a critical way, you'd always go, well, allegedly, allegedly, we, allegedly. Don't, want to, we don't want to get ourselves sued. Um, allegedly, they're shithouse. And now you're like, that person's a fuckhead and that person's a fuckhead and that company's <laughs> fucking sucks. <laughs> You've lost your filter. <laughs> hey, I, I do want to give a shout out to um, Andrew Rooney 
uh, and the the New Zealand drummer podcast. I did one. I recorded one with him yesterday. Awesome, top guy. Yeah, it was cool. It's really good. And I listened to a couple of the episodes too. And he has some really complimentary things to say about our podcast as well. Nice. You know, I've listened to one of them too. It's a great podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really cool. And he had Steve Porcaro on there. Did he? Yeah. Wow. Uh, I didn't. I haven't listened to that one, but I will. Yeah. But no, top top notch guy. So um, shout out to Andrew. Thanks for um, indulging me and letting me talk about myself for an hour and a half. And today's guest is someone who's been in the local music community for, God, feels like forever. It <laughs> does, eh? And of course, our guest today is Brian Bell. He feels like he's been around for ages. Yeah. But but you see him face to face and he doesn't seem to have aged. No. No, I think it's all the alcohol. Right. But I, <laughs> I actually saw him play uh, in 1993. And Holy shit. I know. I was about four. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was in uh, his band at the time was Dead Flowers, and mm-hmm. um, they were supporting Guns N' Roses and Skid Row. Right. And I didn't know who they were at the time, but I remember I remember watching them and thinking, man, these guys are cool. I wonder who these guys are. Yeah. And it was like pre-internet, no way of finding out. I don't think I figured that out for another ten years or something. Like, oh, that's the band that <laughs> that I saw. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Remember the old days when you just had a question and you went, oh, I wonder who that is, and then there was nothing to do about it, and you went, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I won't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm the gonna end. go to my grave wondering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, but anyway, so he was in a great rock band called the Dead Flowers, and these days he's playing in Jordan Luck Band, and he's also recently started playing with Echo Park. Right, but he's he does lots of production work. He's one of these guys who does all sorts of stuff behind the scenes, um, and he's a super cool guy. And yeah, it's great to have him on the show. Cool. So here's my chat with the irrepressible Brian Bell. Right out. Now let's do this. Don't give up your day job. I find with a there's a disconnect with um the us the the kind of musical culture in this country because. Yeah. Um, I, it's frustrating for me to see the young bands with f- ridiculously huge amounts of potential right. making the same mistakes and like uh, for a long time I think it might be changing a little bit and I hope it is Yeah. Um, but uh, for young bands or even in New Zealand not really understanding what a producer does right? and not really understanding um, I mean this is getting in more musical terms and things like that but when you get the young bands and they haven't figured out what the the, the tempo is going to be, the ultimate tempo for the song, or maybe you should work on um, the arrangement and maybe make, write a better bridge than spending six hours on a sound of a snare drum, you know? <laughs> and, and that's yeah. really frustrating with me, whereas yeah. like overseas, that's like integral. You almost won't get signed unless you have a decent producer signed mm. to the project, you know? Yeah. But yeah. That, there's some really good lessons in that that uh, if it, there was a bit more of a community in New Zealand specifically, that these same mistakes wouldn't be yeah. done over and over again. Well, and I think it's it's like the same dynamic that we find on social media where where um, everyone constantly puts their best face forward mm. on, on Facebook. And all it really achieves is everyone feels terrible all the time because everyone yeah. feels like everyone else has got a yeah. better life. You know? Just nailing it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I think in the music industry we do the same thing where yeah. we're constantly trying to give a perception of what we're doing yeah. rather than talking about the nitty-gritty yeah. and, and the reality of it. And th- those of us who do it know that it's not all like limousines and helicopters. No, you far know? from it. <laughs> yeah. Far from it. Far yeah. from it. And, and, and I think if we were all more open about it all, we'd, we'd, we'd actually yeah. end up with a more supportive industry and it would all feel better. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's generally with social media anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter what you do. It's like everyone's having the most amazing <laughs> lives. No matter yeah, what the vocation is, it just seems, yeah, 
It's it's a strange old uh, it's a strange thing for sure. It, it, I find it quite comforting when I talk to people in the in the industry and they have the same problems. Yeah, you know, like uh, I was talking to a guy yesterday um, from America who's a very very successful session musician. Yeah, and he was talking about the same problems, just struggling to pay the mortgage and yeah. life balance. You know, he he had just turned something down the, um, that morning yesterday morning because he was. Um, he had to make time for his family, but yeah. it was a great opportunity, and like yeah. it's all the same problems, and yet it's he's played balance, like eh? he's a Grammy award-winning musician. You know, yeah. isn't it crazy? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was in. A, I have this uh, one of my best friends. Actually, the re- reason I ended up I'm from a musical family and started playing when I was really young, playing right. piano. My mum's a music teacher, and my brother, younger brother's music teacher, and blah blah blah. Grew up in Auckland. So, I uh, uh, was born in Wanganui and we left uh, there when I was about eight, so yep. that's about 78. Right. And then um, came up here. But it was always, again, it was this, uh, um, my friend who I went to grammar with uh, was always about, oh, no, I want to be in a band, I want to be in a band. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding, man. What a loser thing to do. And this is when I'm <laughs> about 15. And it's just no reason to do that because you're not going to make any money. And, wow. And and that's a strange view for a 15 year old did you say you were 15 yeah so a 15 year old at that time which is like the height of rock and roll yeah it's like new zealand music was almost the uncoolest thing in the world and this is coming from a 15 year old who probably fucking you know was into fucking new romantic music or something like dran dran and didn't even fucking know what was around and the exponents dance exponents you know were around then and dave dobbin and and the and the dunedin sound and all that stuff so obviously i was completely ignorant right but at the same time i i knew that none of them were driving around in limousines either so i mean i was going to become a lawyer and just make shitloads of money and that was me at 15. that's so amazing because i've we speak to loads of musicians on here and almost none of them say they were worried about money <laughs> when they were starting well, out. Well, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's a life lesson you learn later. But I was yeah. already knew, I knew it in my mind as, as dumb as, or as ignorant as I am, which is, it's not actually that far from the truth either in that terms of that money thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's just like, there's no way you're going to make music. So anyway, I joined the band and that was basically to, you know, make, you know, pick up women and right. shit like that, so, which is, you know. So anyway, so we did that, and we were, you know, awful bands for a few years. But then it's, it's you know, it started to click around eighteen, nineteen when we started um, writing originals and stuff. And then it it became it took on a whole other level. And mm. so so he ended up his family ended up moving to LA. But um, because he was always that guy that he was always going, nah, this is what I'm going to do. This is I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to be in a rock band. He, he went over there, so we would have been about 20 years old. Mm. Went over there. He went to BIT, which is that Base Institute of Technology, and studied there. And then being in LA, he met a guy who was working in um, you know, a clothing store with, and they went on to uh, form Goldfinger, which is this quite semi-big band in America, uh, Puck punk kind of era yeah. and they sold like half a million them. albums and they toured the world with the six six pistols and stuff like that wow so it's just it's because of him and now i'm trying to think what the my fucking point was what was my point I'm um not sure. <laughs> what were we talking about but um, yeah i mean that's how i got, i mean that's how i got into it but i mean my perception of uh, 
Kiwi music and it even being a possibility as a career was there's no fucking chance. So so you were um, all about the American bands and English. No, bands I wasn't so much. He no, was right. He was. I was. Uh, I was just trying to figure out if it was like a cultural cringe thing. If it was like New Zealand artists that you were. Yeah, maybe a, there's a little of that because I yeah. yeah the Dunedin sound wouldn't have set well that well. I mean I no. fucking love it now, but yeah. back then I just was thought it was boring as fucking. I wanted more of an entertainment, more of a show was probably what I was more attracted to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely not that important to me now. But you're a kid, right? You're 15. Mm. You don't know what the fuck you're doing. I, I had a sense of that when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, I, I felt like, and I'm not saying I was right, but I just, yeah. I think I had a sense of, of like, we were sort of pretending down here. Yeah. We weren't real bands. Yeah. We were, we're, sort of we're from bands. New Zealand. Yeah. We're, we're, like, we're like little brother to everybody. Yeah. And who's yeah. going to take us seriously? And even if they, even if we were any good, who would fucking care? And I also thought like a lot of these bands have really legit stories, you know, like the punk movement, like the streets of London yeah. and it was gritty and it was real. And yeah. eventually the Seattle thing and Seattle was a very real place. Yeah. But guys in New Zealand where it's nice and not that many bad things happen. Yeah, exactly. Dean being really angry on the yeah, microphone. There's like, not much of a backstory, is there? <laughs> and I always, yeah. always remember thinking, uh, what are you going to, uh, like, you can always, you hear these like uh, songs with these great place names or something like Brooklyn or yeah. Soho or something in these yeah. songs. And then we said, what are we going to say? We're going to say... Taranaki. Like, yeah, Taranaki <laughs> or Mount Roscoe or, yeah. or Queen Street. I was cruising through Queen Street. It just sounded all so bung and, yeah, um, yeah, just a little bit ridiculous. It, there's nothing iconic about it. No, but I used to wonder, though, for the people that do live in the States, when a place they live in is referenced, did, it, did, it, did they feel the same way about it? Or did they just were they just so used to it? Well, I Cause reckon Because that- when you live in New Zealand you're always like looking up to bigger countries. Yeah, for but sure. But when you're in America, there's no bigger country. I know, but there's no other country that goes, USA, USA, <laughs> you know what I mean? They yeah. really like themselves, so they're well, pretty yeah. down with anything American made. <laughs> we're, we're like that with certain subjects, but not with others. You know, we're like, we're like that with the All Blacks. Yeah, it, absolutely. That's about it, though, isn't it? Pretty much, yeah, oh, yeah, I guess so. Oh, there's other things like, you know, I guess um, Sir Edmund Hillary and... There's, yeah. little, there's those little moments, but yeah. when it's like music, it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, New Zealand music, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although now we've, we've sort of pushed the point, I think, too much, you know, because what I felt like for a long time is we're so insistent on pushing um, a, patriot, a patriotic view on New Zealand music yeah. that we're no longer really thinking about whether music's good. I still think it helps, though, because um, mm. it was so anti... I mean, that started... I mean... I was in a band called Dead Flowers and we were sort of at the beginning of that New Zealand on air thing. Right. And I think it would have been very hard to really get any sort of momentum. It did really help. Mm. Um, So, I mean, everyone, at the end of the day, you're either good or you're not, you know. I mean, it's it's people, people are ultimately going to decide that for you. If you're going to make a living, if people turn up to your shows or buy your records, so I mean I don't mind that you know some you some might get through that maybe aren't as good as some others but I I still think it's pretty great that they have that system I think because yeah. it also gives like someone who is maybe fourteen or fifteen now well yeah. th- this is an opportunity and they if, if they've got their talent right and they just need a little bit like a a more well trodden path to go down yeah they won't be so. Well, I suspect that the, cult- by taking it. the cultural cringe thing was probably so extreme. Like, and, and this is before I was around, really. So, so I'm guessing it was so extreme. The view was probably so negative yeah. um, that it needed to have a, an injection of the opposite to sort of yeah. a, attempt to balance things out. And there was 
there was, um, and then they just happened around that around the same time as that New Zealand on air. There was some really we had this thing called Max TV. Which I remember Max TV. Yeah, it was yep. a music channel, amazing for promoting gigs. Yep. And you had Power Station, which you didn't need to pay for to play. Right. So we were doing like we started off as five uh, bands for five bucks, and that's when uh, all these musos were around and. Then uh, Dead Flowers sort of got members from all these different bands and started there. Mm. But then when you had Max TV supporting you, then they'd play your videos, which New Zealand On Air paid for, and that built the momentum. And then we'd be getting like 900 people to a power station show pretty pretty regularly, you know? It's crazy to think yeah. about, especially compared to how it works now. Yeah, <laughs> all the venues dying, King's Arms gone. And, yeah. Yeah, and you can't really put on a show unless you want to spend a couple grand in power station now you know so i mean what do you think the difference is like i mean i know if i went to put on a show at the power station now there's an immediate cost of the venue yeah, and the yeah. pa and the engineers and yeah. the whole thing um but how did they get around those costs back then do you think there were none there were, but someone must have had to run the pa and there was know. an in-house pa you didn't pay for anything right uh they just got the bar that's so the and that that, that was pretty much Power station throughout the whole 90s. Right. That's really only changed in the 2000s. Oh. So you could put on show and um, and earn decent money. Yeah. And also the the bottom floor they'd let underages in and top floor would be whoever wanted a drink. Yeah. So that's why you get... And if you had like oh, a, a kids idea. watching Max TV and stuff who liked your stuff... Yeah. They'd still pay the door ticket, the door fee, and get right. in there. And that's why you get 900 people a night, you know? Wow. Because what I've noticed, well, I mean, I, I think I've sort of arrived in the industry after everything had already changed. Yeah. But what I've noticed is that um, it's it's now almost impossible to sort of develop a new audience, you know? Yeah, especially live. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and it must be things like that that have changed. Like, it, it's it's hard to just go on tour and actually play to people. You yeah. can go on tour, yeah. but a lot of a lot of bands that are on the radio go on tour and play to seven people. Yeah, that's right. You know, how do you how do you expand on that? Well, see, I'm lucky. I'm kind of, I mean, I've got this, um, I'm with Jordan Lark, so yeah. he's got this known brand, but I mean, I'm also in a band called Echo Park, but we play with Jordan obviously a lot because Joe and I are in Jordan Luck band. But yeah. I, honestly, I don't really have a good answer to you, really. Mm, um yeah. Yeah, I don't really have a good answer. But then you've got, like, I mean, what 660's just done. I mean, so yep. that's still radio play, and that's... I, would, I wouldn't I would know... Like I said, I don't really have that many good answers for you, except... <laughs> well, I don't think there are answers. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean... I think often the music that gets to the top is a reflection of what's going on in the, the bottom of the industry. Yeah. And is, there are less rock bands getting through. Now. Yeah, but that's going to, I mean, this sort of swings around about, yeah. so it's not as if that's not going to change. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I've heard rock was dead and the end of the 90s and then it came back and then rock was dead in 2010. Mm. I mean, and that's always yin, yin, yang, yeah. and, you know. it's fashion. Yeah, movement. exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, because I, um, I, th- I think I told you before, I saw um, Dead Flowers mm. in 93 supporting Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. we'd only been together eight months by then. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, remember, I remember I didn't know who you guys were. Yeah. I, I was into Skid Row and Guns N' Roses. Yeah. And, and then you guys played. And I remember um, saying, like, these guys are awesome. Who are they? You know? Yeah. And it, took me, it actually took me a few years to figure out who, who it was. Yeah, right. Um, I mustn't have heard when you said the name of the band or whatever, but... Um, I didn't even think I did. I was so... <laughs> so I didn't have a head for marketing or anything like that, and there was no... There's no social media. You become a bit more savvy with right. that sort of stuff when you realise the, the power of it. I, I honestly don't think I ever said it. Maybe not on the ticket. I don't know. But, I mean, you might even not 
have even known we were a Kiwi band, but it was a, I mean, we'd been together eight months and that was a, I didn't really sleep that week before. Right. Yeah, but, I mean, that happened to me too when I, I first played at um, Vector. Yeah. And I was halfway through the show and someone shouted out, what's the name of the band? Yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So were you like shitting yourself doing that gig? Because that must be like 50,000 people or something, Yeah, right? it was. Yeah. Uh, I was until you, and then you kind of get on there. I think we played 40 minutes or something, and it, it feels like 10 minutes. Mm. And um, so you ju- it just kind of, once you're on stage, it goes real fast, and, and you just kind of, you're just in the zone or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, right up until I went on stage, fucking shooting myself. <laughs> and then um, and then it's kind of, just it's just another gig. Right, yeah. yeah. And did you interact with the other bands much that day? Yeah, we... Uh, yeah, we did a few things that day. We um, we went back to there was an after party uh, at the I think it was called the Regent then, which is the centre now, just with basically uh, Skid Row, us and GNR mm-hmm. and the promoters and maybe there's honestly about thirty people there. It wasn't like a big raucous thing. Yeah, but we had already because it was Axl Rose's birthday and we'd already uh, that cake had been brought on stage. All oh, right. So we were backstage and we were the the literal definition of starving musicians, right? right? <laughs> so we saw the cake backstage, and we knew the guy's not going to fucking eat it or anything. <laughs> so we stole the cake, and we lived off that chocolate cake with two Axl Rose Love Frontier Touring. That went in the fridge. But we went to the party uh, afterwards, and, um, yeah, it was all, it all kind of subdued. Nothing rock and roll about it. It's yeah. on the, down there, but um, Axel finally came down, and I just remember thinking um, it was his birthday, and obviously he's, he uh, was suffering from uh, what you say, maybe lead singer disease. Well, by then, <laughs> and so he came down on his birthday, probably one of the most famous people on the planet at that time. Yeah, came down with a seven foot bouncer f- uh, flanking him, right. and everyone that was there except for us, probably. Were his either his bandmates or Skid Row or a couple of promoters, right? And no one talked to him. It's his fucking birthday. No one wanted to even say boo to him. Wow! And he just sat there saying nothing, talking to nobody. So um, I thought, oh fuck this. So I went up to him and said, oh, I know you probably don't know who the fuck I am. I played before Skid Row and played on the same stage, but yeah. I know you didn't get here till three hours later or whenever <laughs> it was. And I just said, look, do you get to see the country at all? Well, anything, you know, he goes, no, no, not really. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, it's, it's pretty um, aloof. And right. then he only stuck around for 20 minutes and then bailed back to his room. But I still remember thinking, fuck, if you're that famous and it's your fucking birthday and you're here with your so-called bandmates, you should be fucking having the time of your life. Yeah. And did he seem, like, sad, or did he seem, like, uninterested? No, he just or? I don't give a fuck, and right. I'm here, and yeah. fucking... He just seemed bored, really. But that was quite an interesting time for Guns N' Roses, like, early 93, because... Lost Izzy? It was quite... Right, yeah, well, they'd lost Izzy. Yeah, Izzy didn't play that one. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, did they only just lose Izzy at that point? Well, it was... Um, see, I think it could have even been a year... Right. ...that Izzy hadn't been playing. Well, what I was going to say, though, is that Oh, you know, famously, grunge wiped Guns N' Roses out. Yeah, and grunge had just started at that point, right? That's like, true. But GNR was still a massive band. Yeah, it's like um, I mean, grunge definitely wiped out the Lover Boys of the world mm. and the um, <laughs> Ario Speedwagons and yeah. and all that shit. Yeah. But when you when they were still a massive, massive band, right? But it was that 
you know, to me it was like this Guns N' Roses before Axl Rose started wearing uh, bicycle pants <laughs> <laughs> and the Guns N' Roses before that. Yeah. And the Guns N' Roses before that was fucking killer. Yeah, yeah. And the bicycle pants onwards was kind of fucking a bit of a train wreck. Yeah, the Steve Adler days, eh? And, yeah. Um, and what was the name of the original rhythm guitarist? Is he? That, that was the Stradlin, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And he was really cool. Yeah. He was a good guitar He player. had gone, and, and yeah. like, you might have been getting confused because the keyboard player was named Dizzy. That's what I was thinking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And, and Dizzy stayed with them, right? Yeah. yeah. Dizzy was an original member. He was, and then, uh, fuck, uh, I'm trying to think of the fucking new guitar player. Gilby. Gilby. Yeah. Gilby Clark. Yeah. 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 So he was on that show, and I think he'd been on that show, and Matt Sorum was there. Actually, I had a really uh, good yarn with Matt Sorum at the after party because I knew him from the cult days. I was oh, a yeah. massive cult fan. Yeah. And um, I said to him, uh, oh, man, I just want to, you know, uh, talk to you about the cult because I fucking love that band. He goes, oh, man, he showed me this uh, bracelet he's wearing that Ian Asprey had given him. And he said to me, look, I'd still be in the cult, but uh, these guys pay me. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure he said ten thousand dollars a week to be in this band. Wow! <laughs> and uh, you know that's over. That's every week. That's not just the touring week. Right. So he he said basically that's why I'm in this band. But me and yeah. him just talked about the cult and uh, and he was you know and things he was doing and uh, yeah he just uh, watched me. <laughs> he wanted to watch. I was with a girl and he just wanted to watch me and this girl make out for some reason. That's the other. <laughs> That's the other weird thing about it. But anyway, so... Well, I, um, I mean, I was talking to someone about this yesterday, actually, about how the the journey of rock and roll through those times yeah. um, wasn't as simple as it may appear in a sense that you had the, the prog bands in the late 70s yeah. and then the punk thing and then, and then the kind of hair metal thing yeah. and, then, and then the Guns N' Roses yeah. and grunge. And it sort of seems like that's all one big line yeah. of, of rock. But my understanding of it, of it, at least, is that punk was a response to the prog Absolutely, they, they hated and then they did kill it too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then punk had its thing, and then the hair bands weren't the continuation from punk. Well, New Romantic was a continuation of punk, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, like the Cures and the um, yeah, and the even the Dran Drans and stuff. You and, know? and then the hair metal thing. I guess I don't even quite know where that came. Maybe that was. Well, a continuation yeah, I reckon of that's prog. from New Romantic going into a harder edge, but still wanting to look like you know the mm. the big hair and the, yeah. the clothes and stuff, the f- Gary Glitterish, you know, flasher, right. uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then and then grunge was sort of like punk part two. Yeah, it was I like, completely and agree. Grunge was like anti the hair bands. They, uh, they, it wasn't a continuation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so then. Guns and Roses, in my mind, <laughs> fall in this really strange. They were on the cusp. <laughs> they, were, they were almost a grunge band. Well, so yeah, and if you look at that first video, the uh, Welcome to the Jungle, he's yeah. got the big fucking hair with yes. like a can of That's hairspray right. in that. And then after that, and then the next video, it's all fucking. It's getting. It's starting getting grungier then. Mm, and yeah. the music was always pretty heavy. Yeah. But it was also really raw, and the, and, yeah. I, and from what I've read, they hated the big um, hair bands. Yeah, they yeah. were just on that cusp. Because you know the famous story that Slash auditioned for Poison, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, and his ni- his nickname, and I'm pretty sure this is dead set, because I've heard this so many times, and I heard it at the time, Yeah, that he auditioned for Poison, uh, that CeCe DeVille got the gig. Right. That, that The guitar player that you know, well, you know, that was got the Poison gig. Yeah. And he turned up and said his name was Flash. <laughs> Not Slash, but Flash. And uh, he tried out for that gig, and he didn't get it. And then, because uh, it's all Hollywood and fucking uh, Sunset Strip, all those bands were around there. And yeah. there's a swag. And there's a really good movie called Decline of the Western Civilization Part 2. Right. 
and it's set right at that time where all that hair bands are going off and there's some real fucking dire stories about bands that didn't make it and yeah. people that that got these outrageous hairstyles and uh, think, oh, yeah, we're going to be the biggest band ever. But it's a really good movie. And, right. and then some, you got, like, Faster Pussycat in there and you've even got the... The, you know, the older school, like Aerosmith guys in there, but it's really good about that Sunset Strip. And mm. so that's basically the Seattle of Seattle music was the Sunset Strip right. in Hollywood. Exactly. That's yeah. where all those bands came. Have you, you been know. through that? You yeah, know? yeah, and like Rainbow Room and the Whiskey yeah, and all that cool, stuff. Eh? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember going into the Whiskey and thinking, this is where um, it was that first video you were just talking about. Um, was it Sweet Child of Mine or Welcome to the Jungle? That was just... Welcome to the Jungle was him with the big hair. That's at the, yeah, that's at the Whiskey, that's isn't the whiskey, it? That's at the Whiskey, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's quite bizarre when you've seen this video all your life and then you're standing in the room yeah. where it happened, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah, yeah it's, it's quite, it's quite, I guess that's another thing about being in New Zealand is, is uh, at least my sort of version of events is, is everything on TV always felt like it was on a different planet. You know? Exactly, and you feel so isolated here, yeah. and that's why, yeah, that's why it just, yeah, it, it's hard, it's hard coming from here because, uh, yeah. I well, I remember when I was a kid, do you remember that show Terry and the Gunrunners? Yes. <laughs> yeah. With the kind of, like, uh, the guy with the freaky hairdo and stuff. So I think Terry, the main character, like, really curly hair or something. Yeah, and like didn't they have that kind of guy with the, the quiff? I don't know. Don't I don't yeah. But yeah. they... That was obviously a New Zealand show. Yeah. And uh, I grew up sort of southeast, and from my window you could see um, the end of Music Point, and there's right. like a little white building there. Like yeah. That. And um, the the last episode finishes at that building, yeah. and it finishes with the building exploding. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the couch watching it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, the, it's the building. I can see from my window, you know? Yeah. And then the whole thing plays out, and I was like, I don't know, six or yeah. whatever. Um, and the building explodes, and I remember like, Moving to my left slightly and looking out the window, and like the building was still there, <laughs> yeah. going, What? What? And the illusions <laughs> destroyed. Yeah. And yeah. my mum had to go, No, you see, in the movies, there's yeah. the special effects. Yeah, and right. But I remember that was like a really amazing thing to be watching something on TV that was in my neighborhood. Oh, sort absolutely. Of, you know? And so, like, in the last few times I've gone to the States, I've gone and hunted down locations. Like, yeah. I went to the car park where they shot the um, opening of Back to the Future. Yeah. And I recently went to where the... Where is that? Is that in LA, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No shit. It's, it's a relative drive away. Like, yeah. it's about 40 minutes away from right. Hollywood. But yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just right there. It's just a yeah. mall. People live there. Yeah, man. Um, and the bridge where um, the truck in Terminator 2 drives yeah. off. Yeah. Being, we, me, that, me and Nick Portman went up there. Uh, yeah. 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 And those things really... I don't know that if people were in LA that way. Yeah, it's but I don't know if people everywhere. who live there give a shit. It's just, you know, I wonder if it's heightened because we're from here. <laughs> Absolutely, man. In the yeah. same ways that you go to London and, like, you know, we're basically 200 years old yeah. as opposed to London that's thousands of years old. And you can go to a pub in London and drink at a pub that Dick Turpin drank in or, right. or, or Shakespeare drank in. Yeah. And, and these are thousands of years old and these buildings are still here. And that's what's so awe inspiring. And then it's the kind of pop culture of America. Right. Because it's like so flat as well. Mm. That's the thing. that, it, But it's just so massive. And there's, everything's iconic and you've got Mulholland Drive. And, yeah. And Hollywood and Vine and all, all that stuff. It's just um, – and it's in the movies, right? I mean, right. that's what you – it's all – it's all that kind of uh, – just being in a movie just makes it fucking cool. Yeah. I, I went to a pub in England, in London, where Charles Dickens used to drink. Yeah. Which – how long ago did he live? Like 400 years ago or something? No, oh, maybe two hundred years. Yeah, yeah, something around. I, I couldn't. Yeah. I can. But even that's just cooler because yeah, it kind yeah. of makes it. It makes it real. Yeah, you know? it he, does. Was a, he was a real guy. Yeah, and you can you actually know? touch the fucking thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I, I kind of made a promise to myself, and I don't know if you've um, thought about this much, but 
in in music you know by the time you kind of get somewhere or maybe by the time you get to sort of roughly where we are um you've either had all the excitement drained out of you and you know you're sort of been piled on with cynicism or whatever um or you you're so busy trying to keep cool because you got to sort of keep a keep a a cool face on you know you can't let your excitement show that you sort of kill it you know no see i think there's a third third option and even even at a young age um i mean i did three albums with dead flowers yeah and Every single time, and you, every single time that I was in, because it, it was back when you, you're still in the big studios, right? right yeah. And we did, the last Dead Flowers album, we were in um, Sydney and recorded it in there, and then we finished it off in Auckland. Yeah. Every single time I was in one of those massive studios, which are a dying breed now, because but they still they still exist, yeah. right? I would still look around. And just think, fuck, this could be the last time I'm in a place like right, this. And yeah. look at all, these, all this outboard gear and shiny lights and shit like that. Yeah. And I'd always be, fuck, this is cool, man. Because, I mean, you know, f- fucking no three chords and, and fucking I'm in a place like this. I mean, yeah. that's obviously simplifying things, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Um, but I, I always took it for granted and always um, – I always uh, – Enjoyed, yeah. No, I, I still get a buzz. I, mm. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I actually made a promise to myself when I was about eighteen that I wouldn't let myself lose the love of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, because I think it it can like things can grind you down. Yeah. Um, I've certainly met a number of people who who have you know lost their mojo, and and the industry can be tough. You know. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I try to just keep a sort of internal focus on why I do it. Yeah. You know, and stay. And for me, it's a very much a relationship with music and playing yeah. itself. You know. Um, and also, I mean. Yeah, okay, and, and and I think that's exactly right. And mm. to me, if I get to the age of 65 or whenever I retire uh, or live that long, <laughs> if, like, I put so much importance and uh, satisfaction out of, if I get to 65, because I've done this my whole life, I've never had a normal job, right? except for this three-week period, four-week period uh, in my sent form, I worked at a bank. <laughs> four weeks. Yeah. Four weeks in, in a the, bank. In the summer holidays. <laughs> I worked at a bank once. Yeah. And Horrible. I, yeah, and I, I bought a guitar amp with it. And yep. um, that's the only normal job I've ever had. So, right. But, I mean, if I get to the age of 65 and people ask me, so what did you do with your life? And, and all I need to say is I was a musician. So yep. I put so much um, weight in even that word mm. that what did you do with your life? I, said, I was a musician. That's yep. all you need to say. I was a musician. And, you know, you paid your way. Uh, for all those years, and you're a musician for all those years, and that's good enough for me, really. Well, I think it's honourable to to make yeah. a living long term out of musician. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can have a a moment in the sun and have a good six months, and then have everything crumble. But if yeah. you're still there fifteen or just years later, along as well. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like the tortoise and the hare. If you're yeah. still going all those years later, um, there's something really honourable in that. And, yeah. I, and I think that's why it's in many ways it is important to, to sort of peel away the rock and roll stereotype and really see what artists do. Yeah. Um, as a career, because it's really amazing. Yeah, it is. You know, and you have to be, and it's a, you have to be your biggest critic. Yep. You can't fucking have your head up your ass and yep. think you're better than you are. That's right. You would always want to be getting better. You have to have fingers and pies. Like if you're, you know, if you're making this much from playing live, then maybe you can make some more by doing this or hmm. by doing this. And it's still all music. Yeah. Then. That's just being smart. Right. Because when one thing maybe peters out, another thing will fucking exactly. pick yeah. you up and pay the bills and all that stuff. I mean, it, it is possible. you just got to be smart and you got to be realistic and you got to be professional. At the end of the day, you yeah. can't fucking blag your way 
into any position if you don't deserve it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So when so in the early days when you were starting out, yeah, how long did it take you to kind of feel like you had a handle on what you were doing? You know, because I'm guessing in the early days you're probably just making it up as you went along, right? Um, I mean, in regards to like earning money and yeah, completely blind yeah. blind to that sort of shit. I yeah. never really got involved in that. We were lucky with Dead Flowers that uh, our bass player owned a record shop called Corner Records. Oh yeah, and he was a lot more business savvy than the rest of us. Right, but I was uh, even you know I was always writing songs and I was always quite hard working. And that okay, we're gonna need more. We're gonna need the next album. We're gonna need the next album. So we're all doing our bit, and I, the players in the band were, you know, had, had already paid their dues, and as in, this wasn't their first rodeo. Yeah. So I knew nothing about the business, nothing at all. Um, but well, I, my kind of um, goes back to being your your biggest critic. You mm. go, well, this song's okay. I can write a better one, so let's write a better one. Right. So it's always about being as good as I could get, really. Yeah. yeah. But converting that into an income is a whole different thing. Yeah, I didn't really arch, know you know? much about that at all until, right. um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still, I mean, I, I couldn't be a manager, I couldn't <laughs> be a booking agent, I couldn't do any of that stuff. Do you think Because it's it was, also, that's the New Zealand thing as yeah. well, like, uh, you, you just like, you know, you, if something comes to you, uh, if you've got a talent for something, that's great and you should be paid for it though. It took mm. me like 10, 12 years before... I'd realise that, well, you know, this is a skill I have and if something want, someone wants something from me, then I should get paid for it. Right. It's like, just because it maybe comes a little bit easier to you, that doesn't matter. That's kind of the whole point of having a skill, you know. Like, but easy is relative anyway. It wasn't yeah, easy when course. you started. It's, yeah. Well, <laughs> you worked hard to, you know. There's also people yeah. that, I mean, like, you can't, not everyone can be a muso, you right. know. You've got to have that certain... Um, your brain has to be wired a certain way. Mm, to, broken. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yeah. That's true as well. But I mean, so yeah, that took me a long time to uh, get my head around. And um, and even my, like my brother, who's this amazing classical musician, still struggles with that. And I think that's, a, that's something to do with the New Zealand psyche. It's like, oh, well, I mean, this might only take me an hour. Right. But what you're going to end up with is, is worth more than... You couldn't get it if, like, I mean, that's. I don't know if I'm explaining it that well. No, I understand what you're saying because we we're. You got to put a value on music, and I don't yeah. think that happens in this music, in this country, rather. Yeah. And I, I think it's changing slowly than it does to other people. It's just like anything else. Like, it, I mean, I used to have this thing, and uh, uh, like, if if you want to get your house painted, just tell some. And this is how old the saying is, because people don't really buy CDs anymore. <laughs> but if you wanted to get your house painted, just tell an up-and-coming New Zealand band that you'll buy their CD if they paint their house. And nine times out of ten, they probably would. I mean, that's the kind of <laughs> that's the kind of the um, self-deprecating thing that they yeah. have. Oh, well, he's going to buy a CD, and then oh yeah, we'll paint your house. No, nah, fuck that, man. Get them to pay twenty five, thirty dollars for your fucking CD. Right? And, yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like put we, value we undervalue when you work. Yeah. And. Um, yeah. Well, so- I, I got a job uh, when I was in my early twenties working for a booking agent, and and it was my job to to talk to the clients and and they'd say I want a, a band or I want a, a street performer or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that really opened my eyes to the subject you're talking about yeah. because I'd go to let's say if they wanted a magician for yeah. a, some party or something, I'd go to three different mu- magicians that did exactly the same thing. Yeah. And one would be three hundred dollars, one would be eight hundred dollars, and one would be three thousand dollars. Yeah. And I'd be and and I would put them forward and and 
whichever one got the gig wasn't really anything to do with how much they were worth. It was more about how they presented themselves yeah, yeah. and, you know, the perceived value yeah. and that kind of thing. And it really opened my eyes. And it was the same with musicians as well. And I came away from that thinking, you know, you, at some point you've got to say, I'm worth this much. Yeah. Um, I'm not necessarily saying you go out for the same fee every time because yeah. that's a little bit hard to yeah. get started and on. And some but, people can't always afford. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But at least you've got a sense of it. Yeah. You know, and then the other thing I kept thinking about um, as, as uh, you know, over the years was that, you know, like even some of the recent shows that we've been on together, yeah. You, you look around at all of the people that are involved in the show. It's like someone put the stage in and yeah. someone put the PA up and and someone delivered the portaloos and yeah. the, everyone's getting paid. Yeah, absolutely. And and some a lot of the time the musicians aren't getting paid yeah. or they're not getting paid enough. Yeah. Yeah, like the, whenever you get asked for a charity gig, which happens a lot. Yeah. And we've done a lot as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, but I mean, the portaloo guys aren't, doing it for free the no. PA guy hasn't done it for free it's always the bands that end up doing it for free right and that's fine fair enough we'll, we'll do so many charity gigs here and there but we've done an awful fucking lot but the mm. PA guy is still getting paid the Portaloo guy is still getting exactly. paid yeah and we're the ones who famously don't make any money yeah. <laughs> why do we always have to keep lumping it yeah yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> But I, I think it is just a, it's a, it's sort of built into the thinking, you know. It's the, and it's definitely, um, it's definitely something to do with this country. And it's like, mm. and the, the humility of it and, and whatever. And there's, there's some really good things to that. Like the All Blacks score a try and then they, most of the time they, they'll walk back with their head down like, yeah, done my job. Right. Other countries will just go nuts. And, and that's, there's something to that humility of it all, and that's all well and good, but you still got to look after yourself. Exactly. And say, well, okay, if, if we're bringing in a thousand people tonight, or if we're doing a corporate thing where 2,000 people are going to lose their fucking minds, mm. then you can fucking pay us right. to do that. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's also good um, to learn from, from outside the industry, and that's one of the things that I've tried to do is, is rather than just pick up the baton from the music industry, I've tried to think, well, how do I put a career together but learn from other areas of business and mm. other industries? Which I think is just generally a good idea, yeah. you know, because it, it just stops you being too like too much like a small pond, you yeah. know, um, getting stagnant. And there's all these little things that I've learned along the way, like um, companies will often, and, and, uh, for the subject of charity, they'll often have an assigned budget that's that yearly budget for charity. Yeah. I'm talking about big companies. Yeah, yeah. They'll say, we'll give a million dollars a year to charities and someone's got the job of dividing that million dollars up. Yeah. Um, and they might put, you know, it might be a couple of amounts to a bigger thing or it might be broken right up into pieces, whatever. Yeah. But if you talk to them at the wrong time of the year, they'll say, no, we've actually spent our budget this yeah, year, yeah. but talk to us next year. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a controlled, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just one little thing I started to do is, is instead of just saying yes to all the charity gigs, yeah. I'll just go, you know what, I'll do two a year yeah. or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's what you have to do, really. Yeah. Because you, yeah, I think you just got to find your little, your fraction of what you do. And that's always good to give back and mm. blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, we're going to pay our bills. And right. that's the, the long and the short of it. And if you want bands like your band and, and JLB or Echo Park or whatever, if you want a, a great band to fucking be, you know, match fit and fucking all the rest of it, mm. I mean... You got to pay for that. You can pay for something right. smaller, easy. Well, so see, another thing I've been thinking about is that, and I and I don't know if this is more so these days or if this is always the way it's been, but especially in New Zealand, the majority of musicians are they have day jobs. Yeah, and music is sort of a yeah. sideline, they're sort of a hobby. Yeah, and I don't mean that in a in a um 
I don't, I'm not speaking down to those people because no. that's just a, no, pra- that's that's a practical a reality, situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and some of them take their music very, very seriously, mm. but they can still only do it on Saturdays yeah. or whatever, you know? Um, and that, the, the number of people like us who are sort of all in, yeah. it's actually very rare. It is rare, yeah. And we're yeah. very lucky. We really, are lucky. At the end of, end of the day, we're but very it, lucky. But it changes all of these little things, you know, yeah. like more and more it's hard to find pro gear at the instrument stores because yeah. there's not enough of us to keep them in business. That's true. So they've got to sell the shittier gear. That's true. Um, or That's the, the, the bigger market. Yeah, and yeah. It, that, that kind of result happens throughout, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think that sometimes affects professional standards and professional attitudes and the way that we're valued because in, in some ways we're not, delivering constant, uh, consistently a high value product across the board yeah. because the number of people who are all in and are working at a high professional level are the, the exception now. Yeah. That, yeah, no, completely. Yeah. You're completely right. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. I don't know what we do about it. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, it's like, um, yeah, no, you're right. It's just, I mean, I just consider myself uh, super lucky, but also, mm. and I'm sure you're the same with your band. It's like, um, Whenever we come off stage and we play swags, right? We play yeah. shitloads a year. Yeah. And everyone in the band's fucking killer player and fucking they're all got their chops down. But yeah. it's still we'll we'll be bummed out if we've fluffed two one or two songs, you know, or someone fluffed. We'll be talking about that in the van run yeah. back to the hotel. Still care about it. But I that's the thing. You, yeah. you fucking care about it. And yeah. fucking um and that's the only way you get you keep your standards up and stuff like that. But I mean, and I've been doing it, you know, coming on thirty years now, and it's still the same. And right. it's still, it's been a long time since I've wanted the stage just swallowing me up. But I've had <laughs> I've had those gigs. Yeah. Have you always have the bands you've been in always been a constructive internal dynamic? You know, I've, like- I've never had a band that gets on with each other as well as. Um, this band, yeah, uh, you know, we still have a little test, but it's 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 pretty solid, right? Um, you and know, it comes across when you're playing, too, yeah, I think. right, yeah. Um, there's been bands before that just occasionally, you know, some personality is quite big and mm. just uh, heads will knock, um, and that's can be stressful sometimes, right? But um, yeah, this one's super easy. It's like the easiest it's, I've ever had. Yeah. 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 So if we go back a bit, what happened to the um, to Dead Flowers in the end? Well, we were, you know, we basically got together in 92 and and we, uh, I think we ended about 99. We did three albums. You know, we had some really good success. We like played with GNR, Pearl Jam, yep. Faith No More. We even played with Sepultura, which was a weird one. Um, yeah, it's a just, strange mix. Yeah. Yeah. yeah a really strange <laughs> mix. But, um, and we toured. Fucking constantly. They, right. I think we still have the record for doing the longest tour of New Zealand. We did a two-month tour of New Zealand playing five nights a week. Wow. It was something like 43 or 44 gigs, and we didn't we didn't come home right. to that. And you must have hit every town on the way. Every nook and cranny. Yeah. Basically, it's very, yeah, every fucking Westport, fucking Danny Virk, fucking... Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, fucking everything. I like the last this last summer, I went to a place I'd never played before, and that really ever happened. So I went to Luggett. <laughs> Luggett. never, and Jordan hadn't played it either. So he's a well, well toured. It's down south near Cromwell, right? Um, relatively, but yeah. So we worked really hard, and um, and we had uh, great success with radio play, especially uh, the first and third album, and the second one was alright. Yeah. 
Um, so it was a great life, man. Still, there's fuck all money. So you're in the bones of your ass, but you're still doing what you love. And you're mm. 20 in your 20, so who gives a fuck? You yeah. know, and, um, and, you know, went to London with the the exponents and but by then you, you, you had a couple of big songs on the radio at that point were yeah, they, were yeah, they not bringing the cash in yeah the, the publishing was was probably where you, you got the most money really because yeah. the tours would kind of just look after itself maybe get a bit of coin at the end of the yeah. time but uh, it was the publishing that 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 kept you alive <laughs> yeah <laughs> were you selling much merch in that back then yeah, we sold a bit. We weren't really that that clued up on it. Like I'm saying, right. we were, it was all in. We had none of this, but we we would always pull in and towns where it would be pretty much well attended. And but back then, like if you're coming to a town, you'd make the paper. Right. Like the local papers that people used to read back then. <laughs> so where we were going, there was always an article and a photo of the, the local paper and stuff. So yeah. that kind of, it was real old school, <laughs> but it looked after itself, you know. Um, and yeah, it was a really good 10 years and, and we achieved, you know, fucking, it was great. And that's the, we survived basically. Yeah. yeah. And then when that band ended, did you land right into a new thing or was there a bit well, of time? Well, when that band ended, basically Exponents had done its last tour mm. and uh, Jordan gave me a call and said, look, um, Exponents don't want to do anything anymore, but I still want to play music. So yeah. he rang me, rang Mark Bell, he used to be in um, Blam Blam Blams and, and he, he just rang up everyone he wanted to be in his band. So yeah. I was lucky to be one of those people. And was that pretty much at the same time as when yeah. Flowers ended? Yeah, That's pretty amazing yeah <laughs> yeah what would you have done do you think god knows man it scares me to go back to the bank <laughs> <laughs> i've got no i've got no i've got no resume man basically i'm unemployable if it's if i i mean i bought up um i got a i got um i was doing a solo album at the time that's what i was doing yeah and um and then jordan gave me a call and then we started there, and that was a kind of slow burner because it's like I think we were the, called the Rock and Roll Circus at first. Oh, and then uh, that rings a bell. Yeah, and that's a play on that old movie, eh? With the Stones, Stones and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we called that. So, but but I mean, it was it was a what was a real eye opener, even though you know we're musicians and people in the know know. Mm. But the the people that know who Jordan Luck are. Ten times more people know who the exponents are. So right. even though we're playing exponent songs and maybe some dead flowers songs and some other songs, people don't know general like punters didn't know who Jordan Luck was compared to really? the the brand of the exponents. But there was a gentleman's agreement that um, we couldn't call ourselves exponents right. unless there was a couple of original members. So that's all right. So that's why it was a slow burner. And then, so we decided just to rebrand it, Jordan Luck Band, and then, it's still even then, it, it took, like, kind of six years until people started getting it, and now it's... it's That's amazing. Ass, yeah. That's so different to how I remember it, because I remember, I mean, again, maybe it's just because I'm in the industry, but... Yeah. Well, I've been I, playing with Jordan now 20 years, so I started right. around 2000, so it's been yeah. a long time, yeah. But it's surprising to me that people just automatically didn't know who he was. Yeah. Because I thought he was a famous but name. That's because you know? you're a muso man, and that's because, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah... I mean, basically, you had to put down. We were like saying Jordan Luck Band, and then we'd have to put under it playing all the exponents. It's like White is Love and Who Loves Who and a Victoria. <laughs> to and really explain stuff. it. To really get it. Like yeah. punters, man, you just got to really spell it out, you know? Huh. Mm. God, that, God, that says a lot about how hard it is for other bands who, yeah. who don't have that, eh? Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. that recognition and that brand. It's really important. And so. Did it take a while for that show to click? Or did, I mean, all the musicians are good, I guess. So that, all the that, musicians that, were always good. Yeah. Uh, we obviously went for a lot of um, personnel 
changes. I mean, it's 20 right. years, so, I mean, just normal shit happens. And so it's probably been this lineup for coming on 10 years. Yeah. And it's... Um, and, you know, we self-manage. Yeah. Joe, Joe does, Joe yeah. Walsh. And uh, it's just gone from strength to strength, really. Right, yeah. yeah. And so and so, let's talk about when you met Joe, because that was... Yeah. That so was over in that over was there, over wasn't in the it? UK, yeah. yeah. So I was... Because uh, I used to play a bit in the Exponents as well. So we were on... Exponents were on tour around the Rugby World Cup around there. Right. And so... Oh, so you met Joe when the Exponents were still going? Yeah. So that's... Well, I mean, they're, they're going as a no tour live. And then, right. Yeah, so we, so we were asked to play some shows over in UK mm. to... Um, Around where the All Blacks were, it just made sense financially to do that. So we would, yeah. we played London, Edinburgh, and and Dublin. What kind of uh, year is this? Jesus, two thousand five. Oh yeah, ninety nine, two thousand four, two thousand four, okay. maybe because mm-hmm. it's ninety nine World Cup or three even. No, two thousand three. Right, three or seven now. God. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so we we're playing in the Woolshed in Dublin, and uh, Joe was supporting us, and we didn't know who. It, who this guy was, but right. when we got there, we we'd been into the uh, U two has a practice room in um, Dublin, and they hire it out to you know whoever. Mm. But so we uh, we flew over to uh, Dublin, and then we th- well, we need to have a rehearsal, so we all we put in there because everyone comes from everywhere else. We didn't have a rehearsal beforehand. <laughs> we just so we go in there and just rehearse the set. Yeah, and then um, so after the rehearsal, we bail on our tech. Was I won't say his name. <laughs> our tech uh, put all our gear in the van, but left my bass. Uh, sorry, Spooky's bass, Dave Jen, and my guitar left it outside. <laughs> what on the side of the street? No, there's in the loading bay oh, to right. the practice room, but yeah. outside the door. <laughs> and so the gear turns up at the woolshed in Dublin, and it's missing Spooky's bass and my guitar. Yeah. So this is our the first gig, man, <laughs> and we've got like six or seven shows to come in throughout UK. And I'm going, oh, fuck, this is fucked. <laughs> and so we need to like, meet Joe, who's there diligently, to, you know, waiting for a sound check. Yeah. And I'm dark as all fucking hell. <laughs> and then I tell him, I don't know who this guy is. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, I've just lost my guitar. Speaks lost his bass. Tour's fucked. This is shit. I take it someone went back for them and they were gone? Yeah. 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 Right. But so Joe, because he's a, you know, Irishman, fucking ring, and obviously knows the place, rings up. And talks to the people that he needed to talk to. And luckily, they had seen the two guitars outside the door and put them away in the oh. lockup. Oh, right. And then so we got them back, and then that started the friendship. Oh. And then he played before us. And then, you know, he's a, he's probably one of the biggest Pearl Jam fanatics there is. Yeah. And I had supported Pearl Jam with the flowers, so we got on that way. And then we just ended up getting on getting on the him showing us around all these bars in Dublin. and Yeah. And what was he like as a performer at that point? He was, he's, he's pretty good. I've never seen anyone better with just a voice and a guitar, you know, yeah. acoustic guitar. Yeah. And he, he was playing, you know, the 90s covers back then. He still does that, Father Ted's, and, yeah, he kills it. Right. And gets people fucking singing. And he, he didn't obviously know anything about the exponents. No. Being an Irishman. No. But, um, and then there was, you know, particularly raucous gig. Actually, they all were, you know, back then, they, all those Kiwis would come out and just go nuts. Yeah. And so... um. Because I guess the projecting a little bit, but the um, or guessing a little bit, but the the drinky culture of the Jordan Luck band would have fit quite well in Ireland, right? Was well, really, it was really uh, harried. 
Well, that was the exponents. Mm. Yeah. And so that's Oh the exponents, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um they, they they don't really drink that much. Was Jordan was drinking back then, so yeah. yeah. But the um, the punters definitely. Right. Not so much <laughs> the band really. But um even the Jordan Luck band um, yeah, we, yeah, we drink, but it's not and Jordan not doesn't drink now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, when we all travel around we all meet lots of people. Yeah. So you know, Joe obviously could have just been one more musician you met and never saw again. Yeah. That's right, but there was he was a bit more on that because he's he's that kind of guy when he likes someone he he showed us like a really good time in Dublin like yeah. took us out to all these the places that you wouldn't know if you're a tourist and then he came over to London and he did an opening spot that we hadn't planned on but he did you know you just some people you meet are kind of kindred spirits yeah. straight away and it was kind of obvious and pretty quickly right. And uh, and he was a great muso. And mm. then, but all we said was like, I think Rita or Jordan said, "Look, if you if you want to come down to New Zealand, do it." Yeah. And then three months later, he showed up. He had booked his tickets. I'm coming <laughs> down and stayed at Rita and Jordan's place. And, and it was a good three years that uh, he would support the Jordan Luck band. And it was a good three years before he actually got into the band. Right. I always kind of told him, like, mate, it's going to happen. Just, just fucking, <laughs> just, just it's meant wait. to be. Yeah. <laughs> and so when he came along, did someone had he he would have had to replace someone, right? So someone yeah. had to go for him to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds awkward. Yeah, it was. <laughs> was, yeah. It, was it a case of like we like you, but we like this other guy better? Well, he'd been there for a while, and he's a he's a he's a legend guitar player, but right. um, yeah, it, it it was just a better fit and. I don't know. I mean, I you know, it just happened. Yeah. I, won't, I don't want to go on. No, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty standard band stuff as well, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, and so how long, I mean, I had him on the show, so I should know some of these answers. Yeah. But how long after that did he um, start Echo Park? Oh, it was a good four or five years. Right. So I think he was in the band about 2007. Yeah. Around then. Right. And and you've just recently started playing with him, right? Yeah, probably two, three years now. Yeah. And also on bass, which I fucking love, man. Yeah. I fucking love the bass. My God. I mean, I think I only started playing guitar to write songs, and it's the perfect instrument to do that. But fucking bass is... You dance with the bass, you don't dance with the guitar. Right. You play a guitar, but you dance with the bass, if you know what I mean. And, um, yeah, I kind of think I'm more even... um, uh, Just bass makes more sense to me, in a way. I enjoy it more. Yeah. I mean, when I started playing, I was... My first thing was I wanted to write songs. Yeah. And so... I was trying to choose the instrument based on what I would write yeah, songs with. And in cool. my in my mind when I was a kid, it was either guitar or piano. Yeah. I didn't know you could be a bass player and write songs. Well, you know? I don't even know if you can. Can you? Do you write songs on a bass? I do on purpose, actually. Yeah, right. Yeah, like on the recent thing I've recorded that isn't out yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I sort of made a rule for myself that I wasn't allowed to write I on a guitar. I think it makes sense because you know? uh, I always think, and I've said this to other people, is like... Um, if you're looking for really interesting and good melodies, yeah, it's really good. Even if you, if you're on a guitar, then don't define them by playing the third. I know it's getting, you know, I mean, obviously you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But for other people, don't play the the major or the minor, the third, mm. and then the the melody has more space to go. You can define it, right? If you don't define it, right? Yes. And so that's why I can imagine why a bass would be really good. It's um, I th- I I do write on piano and guitar. I haven't yet really tried to write on bass well i like i like a lot of songs that are written around groove and melody yeah and i find and, and it's only my uh, where i am right now and you know with my own writing 
but I just found myself returning to the same ideas on the guitar all the time. Exactly. You know, and I yeah. thought, well, it gets really fucking stale. You just start to play the same chords and yeah, the same yeah. types of riffs yeah, yeah. and things. It gets really stale. And if you're just left with, okay, I need to write a good melody for the vocals and it needs to be a good groove underneath. Yeah. yeah. You know, writing with just drums and bass and a vocal line. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. And, and then applying a guitar as a complementary, you know, yeah, thing. Like, color, I mean, yeah. like some of my favorite bands, like the police, that's what they would do. Yeah. You know, I mean, Andy Summers parts were yeah. added to an existing yeah, it's color. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I really got excited about that yeah. approach. So, so I, I, I often wish that I had several lifetimes because I'd, I'd, I'd love to have a life as a pro drummer. I'd love to yeah. be a good drummer. I'm not a good drummer, yeah. <laughs> but I love drummers, you know? Yeah. So I get the, I get the excitement to pick up the bass. Yeah, so I, I like being in a tight band, but I've never liked the just the fucking harshness of the. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I love Beaver, our drummer. I mean, this fucking necky to me, and it's like a, he's solid as fuck, man. Yeah, he's such a good player. Yeah, yeah, but and tasty as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's too boom boom bash bash. <laughs> but you write about the the guitar. Do you ever do, do you ever experiment at much in uh, different tunings on the guitar? Because that helps much. a lot. I haven't much. Yeah. You should look in there because that is really good. Because then you have to and and don't look on how to play those mm. tunings. But like D A D A D E. Yeah. That's a Jimmy Page tuning. Just tuned that way, and then just fuck around with like you starting to play guitar. The first time, right, and then that—that's really good. I've—I I've, I've found that really because I know exactly what you're talking about. You have to play the same progression, same. It gets mm. really stale. Yeah, try those different tunings, and then you basically have to reteach yourself guitar. Right, and when you're doing that, you don't really know where to go or what to do, and that's yeah. when those different progressions come in, and the that D A D A D E one is is really kind of. Um, Harmonic and that it's it, you always kind of hearing the tonic, so it's like a, it's like a, a bass as well that you can flow everywhere, and you're not going to get much of the minors or the you're not going to define them as much. Yeah, and yeah. I guess the other thing that it would do is force you to use your ear more because yeah. it, you can't just from muscle memory Absolutely. go to where you know the thing is. You've yeah, actually got to hear it. Won't where be. It, is. it won't be at yeah. all. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, do you still have that thing in you that's constantly pushing, you know, pushing forward and wanting to learn and and you know, yeah. push the boundaries out, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, that's was with, like, getting a, becoming a better bass player. But, I mean, I always, uh, I can't turn it off when I'm, like, like listening to music. Mm. I'll, I'll, and then you go, oh, okay, he's doing that, doing that. So that comes automatically. But if I hear something really good, I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, that I haven't heard or something there. But, oh, something like that might be worth playing around. Not yeah. that you're plagiarizing that person, but... Just intervals, I find I'm really good at intervals and I remember intervals really well. Right, yeah. Like even in intervals and melody, like, a, you know, I mean, even though there's, there's only a finite version of them, but if you go to a one to a six and then four to a fucking nine or something, yeah, yeah, those sort of things stick with me and then, oh, that might be worth playing around with, you know, if I'm hearing intervals that are a bit fresh to me or something well I've, I've heard a lot of um really great artists talk about how they don't listen to the same kind of music that they write or that they play yeah and in the past i don't think i really sort of fully understood that but now i get it because i'm sort of doing the same thing yeah because like you say you, you can hear things now and just immediately go oh they're doing that and that's yeah. what's happening yeah, and yeah. Oh, they did, i see what they did yeah, yeah yeah and for me um and it's not that I think anything less of that music. It's just no. that I, it's like it doesn't give me anything anymore. Mm. It doesn't push me. So I generally listen to music that I don't understand most of the time. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I think that's good. I mean, yeah. I actually don't really listen to music much at all. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And I didn't really start off in the normal thing either. Cause, and I don't know if this explains what it, 
whatever. But mm. like my, I didn't have a stereo till I was about sixteen. The family didn't have a stereo till sixteen. Wow. So like my any sort of influence was everyone was always around the because everyone in the family could play piano. So there'd be a lot of it's always someone playing the piano, and it's usually classical music. So yeah. that's one thing. But the other thing that I still hark back to is that I was a seventies kid. So and we had a TV. So I still hark back to these TV themes. Right. When I was that young, and I think they had such an influence on me that they still kind of do. That's why I remember, like the the outro of the that Incredible Hulk TV program. I love that yeah, song. Yeah, it's amazing, right? And it's, it's amazing. so sad. It is, and it's <laughs> but those those are the kind of things that are kind of more of my influence. I didn't have like uh, um, parents that were Beatles fans or Stones fans yeah. back in the day. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, I reckon at the same time. Mm. Because that would have taken me somewhere else, but it was always these TV themes, and that's an example, and yep. you know things like that. So yeah, I was the same because I didn't come from a musical family at all, so it was yeah. a, the same sort of similar situation for different reasons. Yeah. Um, and they did have some good records there, but they yeah. had maybe a collection of ten albums, yeah. um, and it was relatively current stuff. I think most of it, yeah. but um, but I was always keenly aware of the songs that were played on movie soundtracks, yeah. and I was I remember really listening carefully to the music um, in like the opening of Knight Rider I thought yeah. that, that was a great piece of music yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah. and that's then, it man it sticks in your head you exactly know? and of course of course things like soundtracks Indiana Jones mm. and all that kind of stuff um, John I, I, Williams I, stuff yeah, yeah exactly and I remember um, loving the Incredible Hulk like, yeah yeah. That song, I mean, it, you wouldn't see a show like that now. No, it would be too, and then it always, that always <laughs> would get me. He had a little, I would have been seven oh, years old. It tears you up. up. Huh? It tears you up. Yeah, absolutely. Song. Yeah. yeah. He was like, it was like the loneliest guy. You yeah. Know? Like, but the music just marries, marries to it so, so well. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember years later um, realizing, like, I was a teenager and I didn't really understand who the Beatles were. I hadn't really listened to Hendrix yet. Yeah. You know, and I was only aware of some of their music um, through movies. Like, I, I can remember Foxy Lady from Wayne's World. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then I finally, I think I was 20 and I bought a best of. And then the there's Jimmy a Hendrix. wealth of music right yeah. there. And yeah. then finding Led Zeppelin and finding the Stones and the Beatles. And, you know, you're aware of it because you'll hear it out there, but you're not, I mean, like, you know, the White Album or something. That, that's great. But there's always, I think, yeah, it's, and it's not, you might not even just get your, sense of creativity just from music either because mm. I remember I was brought up on a farm when I was five years old and I was quite independent and just tell my parents I was running away all the time and they go okay <laughs> okay darling see you later and so I'd go off and just walk around this massive acres of land or whatever right and but even then and just make my own fun or imagination whatever it is so yeah, it, it yeah. doesn't always have to be even though the the you end up doing music or something, mm. and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm not a great painter or anything else, but I, I do have a connection with music for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I think that's it's a combination of things that that whatever reason has kind of worked out. Well, I think that that's what kind of confuses the conversation about how to become a good musician. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of focus on practicing, which yeah. obviously is important. Yeah. Um, but it's so much more than that because music is art at the end of the day. Yeah. So it's a very much a, a a reflection of who you are as a person and and your own your own experiences and journey as a person yeah. and and how the relationship that you have with music. Like I think for some people, um, for me, music was a way of escaping some pretty you know horrible things. Yeah. And and also trying to make sense of stuff. Yeah. You know. So it, it's quite a serious thing for me. Yeah. Whereas for other people, it's a party. Yeah. You know. And and. 
don't worry. Like this, this, this thing of saying you're a good musician, because I was a fucking shitty guitar player for basically twenty years. And like in in realms of what a guitar, like to to be a guitar player. But I was a fucking good songwriter, right? So it was really just basically. I mean, that sounds awful when I just said that. <laughs> no, it doesn't at all. Danny gave me some red wine, but no, no. <laughs> um, but I really knew that the songs I was coming up with were pretty good. Yeah. And so all I needed to know was some simple fucking chords and some good melodies over the top of them. Right. That you don't. So as a guitar player, I'm fucking shit house. But as a songwriter, it didn't that like I was playing guitar, learning guitar to be a songwriter. So don't worry that you're not. Uh, uh, you know, if you're starting out, you, don't worry about don't, learning the woodly woodly bits. Yeah, and yeah. Fucking exactly. Trying to play like. I mean, you know, genius well, uh, Hendrix. But if you want, if you want to write songs, you can do it on one, four, five, six, like the simple chords, mm. and you can write some great songs. You can still make that still um, interesting. But being so. a good musician isn't a one-dimensional thing. You know, it's not. It's not as simple as play technical shit. You no. know, that doesn't mean good musician. No, yeah, well, that's you, you know, know, but some people might think that they, can, they think that. Yeah, way, you know, for if, sure. if someone sits yeah. down and just fucking shreds some shit, yeah. that's, that's not actually really. You know, it's it's creating something out of nothing. Is I mean, for me, the definition of a musician. You we know? did a gig a um, couple of days ago alongside the Golden Kiwis, and and they had um, drummer from the Dee Dee Smash and yeah, um, Rude, and, yeah, like, yeah. and a couple of those other guys, and we were just blown away by their playing. Yeah. It's so solid and just leaned in, and yeah. they just gave it everything, you know. And we were, we were side of stage watching and, and yeah. saying like, you, you very rarely see um, people play like that now, because you know? <coughs> it is more sort of twiddly yeah um, and there's nothing wrong with twiddly yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just my only point is that there's so many different types of good yeah you know and and i think um i like to use the word employable when talking yeah. about musicians because um you can do this and you can do that and you can do this but are you employable yeah you know, will you actually learn the songs and turn up on time and not be a douche and and yeah. deliver a good show and yeah you know what i mean i mean i think that's why jordan asked me to be in the band but there's a million better i mean i mean anyone i mean not not anyone but i mean i could a solid rhythm guitar player but I think it was because that he was a fan of the songs I'd written and yeah. there's that kind of flow on to you know because to write songs in the future or whatever whatever it is there's, mm. it's just musicality like you said it can take several forms basically is my point when you look at it from the other way around and you think okay there are lots of good guitar players around but how many yeah. of them can you really call well I think like you said there's, there's many different elements. Yeah. A, you're not a dick is probably the first one. That's <laughs> yeah. a really big one. Because, yeah. I mean, like saying, I mean, if you're going to spend fucking hours in a van, yeah. two, you've got to be enthusiastic. Right. Three, you can't be a drama queen. Yeah. Which kind of ties into one. <laughs> Don't be a dick. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? There's, there's yeah. that whole thing. And I think if the longer you, you've been around, those things are really important. Mm. you still got to be have your chops down. you still got to be solid. Yeah. Um, you got to be professional. You can't turn up fucking pissed as a fart. But right. um, yeah, there's there's a lot more things that make things harmonious. And just fucking, if you get on with people, you know, I mean, yeah, there's a lot more things to it. So, what are you working on now? Like, do you, do you, do you write a lot at the moment? And well, I, I have a studio at my house that it's it's always you know it was always one of my the biggest boy toy I always wanted as an. Thing I always wanted, and because in my in dead flowers, I'd always have things going on in my head, and I'd always ask the sound engineer probably at the thirteenth hour that day if we can do this, <laughs> and he would 
inevitably say no because he'd been working <laughs> 20 hours the previous day on yeah. our shit. And then I thought, oh, I don't know if that's true. So I've got a studio, and I've really enjoyed that. That's the other thing I really enjoy is the the sound engineering side and the producing side because, mm. um, I mean, the last Dead Flowers album, we worked, uh, Eddie Rayner from Split Ends and Crowded House was a producer, and yep. I really saw, really got the first taste of what I saw as what a producer can do and should do. Right. And there's a few things there about creating a really... Like he would go to um, Neil Finn's place on the way to this... We were, so we're doing... We mix, uh, recorded a lot in Australia and then we came home and did uh, another month in um, Revolver, yep. which isn't there anymore. But So there, he would go to Neil Finn's place, come back with these instruments they've never seen before, and he'd just give me it and say, get in there and write a line to this song with that. Oh, I've never fucking played this song. <laughs> and it was just like, one of them was like, you, you pick here with strings and then there's a keyboard here. And then I, I don't, yeah, it was some <laughs> African thing. Right. And then oh, I don't know how to play this. I don't fucking care. Get in there and fucking do it. <laughs> but there was, that, that got the creator's juices going. He, he wouldn't be up for doing more than one or two takes. Yeah. Besides the vocals probably. Mm. And, um, so I really enjoy that side of things. So I produce other musicians, um, and in the, from what I've learned from Eddie Rayner and myself, and what I think how songwriting should be arranged, my whatever that is, and um, and then I dally in doing uh, things like adverts and stuff, which I quite like, which come around every now and then, which is just a kind of you got a deadline, you got a brief, which I quite like. Yeah. And uh, I do enjoy that. I do too. I like having deadlines. Yeah. Like something to work towards. Yeah. Yeah. It changes the discipline. Yeah. And yeah. it's all and it's all about the communication about what you think they want. Yeah. Which is kind of an interesting po- process. Right. And and are you still writing um, original songs a lot? Yeah. I wouldn't say a lot. No, not as prolific, but I, yeah. I have like probably on my iTunes probably 1,200 tracks that I've... Cause I, I remember seeing this thing on George Carlin, who's a, like a comedian. Yeah, legend. Yeah, and um, like I saw it about 15 years ago, and he was talking about comedy stuff, and he said, record everything when you think you have one of those purple moments, those moments of inspiration. Yeah. Just record everything. They're not fucking, most of them are probably going to be shit. Right. But just record them, right? So I've done that for about 15 years, and there's like 1,200 tracks that are, that are, probably half finished and probably most of them don't have lyrics but they have a mallet over the top so I have lots of that and then every now and then I'll just put them on shuffle and I go oh that's not so bad so then maybe I'll develop that Mm. idea more and then then or I'll come up with an idea and record it then and then just put it in that same trough of songs well there's that story that um stevie wonder used to write a song every day yeah you know and i don't know if that was actually true or if it was an yeah, exaggeration I mean, a day but... off for fuck's sake every now and then because you can get music down do yeah. you get music out i do but i was uh, the reason why i wrote songs has sort of changed right like i like i was saying before it used to be escapism and it used to be yeah. about a sort of working do my you shit out them all like even mm, ideas you should do yeah that. I do on my I just basically on my voice memo thing on my phone you need to have a record know. of them and just uh, yeah. and then put them on shelf and then that's just I mean I'd... no no I do that these days yeah yeah um, but back then it was like a, I had to write if I didn't yeah. write constantly then yeah, I, I, mean, I felt I, like I was yeah, going to explode you know time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it started to change yeah and and I I think some of it was to do with making albums you know you sort of write for an album then you spend some time recording and working on the yeah. album um, and then you'd get back into writing phase and yeah. that sort of disrupted the th- the whole thing for yeah. me um and i think also maybe i just got a lot of stuff out of my system 
Like maybe it, it worked. It's a good therapist, eh? I <laughs> yeah. mean, I used to think if it wasn't for guitar, it'd be a basket case, you know? Yeah. Even just jamming a guitar in front of the telly while the telly's on and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know how other people cope. <laughs> I don't know if they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, is, it is really therapeutic, I reckon. But I think... I think maybe the answer to that is that artists spend the whole time ripping the scab off, you know, and we, for some reason, we are constantly trying to get back into the wound to, to, yeah. to figure it out, you know. Yeah. Whereas I think people who don't have the creative outlet, they either fall apart um, or they're really good at just keeping the whole lie intact, yeah. you know, it's like some sort of delusional thing. This is a, relatively, this is a cynical us. point of view, or isn't it? Better than a, than <laughs> us. Up Maybe us. we're just fragile fucking <laughs> beings that <laughs> probably need some sort of crutch or something to. Go. I prefer my idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. My idea makes us better. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> but so, do, do, has your reason for writing changed? Do you think? Uh, it's it's not as. Um, um, I used to think maybe in my twenties I had something. I was trying to prove something that. I'm going to write something better than you kind of thing. Right. And yeah. that probably carried on a little bit in the, my 30s. And now it's it's just it's, it's just it's just a bit more fun and a bit more immediate and it's, yeah. it's not so serious anymore. Like And, and like with the, anything, like I have this pretty decent studio and hopefully this won't happen to you. <laughs> but um, it's like you always want what you haven't got and yeah. when you get it, it's like, oh... So I don't use my studio. I mean, besides, like, when I'm getting paid for something to do. Mm. Like, I mean, I could be, I could have written fucking 20 albums in that place now, and yeah. I haven't. Yeah. But, I mean, that's okay. It's still there, and I still and I still enjoy get being a better engineer, and I, I watch tutorials on YouTube about, you know, fucking some compression raid and some, some sort of <laughs> producer I like and, and, and steal some of his tricks or something. Right. I like all that stuff. It's just... Fingers and pies, I think, is really important. Yeah, yeah. And um, and I do like taking a client's song and then really fucking amping it up. And and when you do, do you, so you produce artists quite a bit? Yeah. And do you sort of do across the board in different genres? I don't really, I mean, I mean, I did the last JLB album, I, uh, John Luckham, I produced that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if that's a good idea or not because they're all your mates anyway. Yeah. Um, but um, true. Did that make you sort of pull punches a bit, or? Yeah, I think I did. Right. In in hindsight, I think it did. Yeah. And um, I'm a lot more brutal on um, on uh, singer songwriters. There's more singer songwriters than bands, really, because it's just. I mean, I can't. I mean, I, I have done in the past go to the studio and record the drums and that, that sort of stuff. It just mm. gets a bit more tedious. Right. For me, and I think if I can. Uh, it's almost like pre-production in a way. I mean, I can finish it to, I can make anyone sound good, but it's it's more like it's uh, getting the best out of that song. Yeah. Or making sure that song's as good as it can possibly be. Well, how do you how do you approach that? Well, I'd say like a, a classic thing would be like if, if a songwriter is really following the progression and their melody. So mm. like in the past, I've like, if I like the melody, I'll completely rewrite the progression underneath it to make it pop, yep. the, the melody pop, rather mm-hmm. than following this generic kind of progression. Yep. Or, and, and, yeah. And, and rewrite the grooves and things a little bit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. a lot of songwriters, of course, just strum the guitar yeah, yeah, and don't exactly. really think, no, think no. about I the rhythm mean, section. I'd, I'd get a guide yeah. and, and a melody and then I'd, I'd basically get rid of the... The, the guitar and then I'd completely rework the whole thing even right. if it's rewriting the music behind it to make that melody pop and then and there's it's always about 
you need a bit of chorus or you need a bit of bridge yeah. or you could have two, a post chorus on that, you know, things like that. And do you have conversations before you start with the artist where you, where you sort of make sure that they understand what's going to happen? <laughs> like I might, they I might pretty quick. They right. sort of pretty, I mean, we, I mean, they don't, we don't get past the first song if they don't like, like my process and yeah. that's not me being a dick. No. It's if, if they're not liking what I'm coming up with, then, then we can't go anywhere. That hasn't yeah. actually happened so far. And that sounds like I'm being a dick as well but it's like okay here this is where i think it should go and if if we're on the same wavelength then that's we're all good yeah i mean that's sort of what you said at the start yeah a lot of musicians don't know what a producer actually does and i didn't yeah and i remember first working with a producer and he said can you just do this on the guitar or something and i I was like why yeah it's too simple or something yeah i I think he actually was just getting me to do an extra complimentary track yeah yeah but i just didn't understand yeah right and and i didn't argue with him but i was just like why i don't understand yeah right and i i just didn't yet know the process but once I clicked, yeah. I'm like, oh, having a producer is great because yeah. <laughs> they've got they're constantly thinking about the big picture, yeah. uh, and you're just concerned about your bit, you yeah. Know? And sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. That's as right. Well. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoy it. I think I'm. I'm think I'm really. I think I'm good at it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 So that it could... really hits me straight away. And I think it, because of doing that, it makes me a little bit less um, precious about my own songs, and right. that's quite. That's been a good process as well. Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. Awesome. We've covered a lot of stuff there. Good shit, Danny. Yeah, thanks Thank so much you. for coming in. It's been awesome. Yeah, thanks, yeah. man. Wow. Hey, thanks, Brian, for agreeing to be uh, a part of this, whatever this is. What is this, Danny? Don't give up your day job. Don't give up your day job. Thanks, man. We really appreciate you coming along. Absolutely. Thanks again to our listeners, to our sponsors, to everyone for supporting us and keeping up with us it's brilliant even those who, those people who don't support us thank you anyway <laughs> well i guess they're not proactively not supporting us yeah if only they they could hear about us you know if only uh, those people who do support us were a little bit more proactive and you know like liking us and and sharing the podcasts and we'll keep hey there's an idea we'll keep proactively trying to make the podcast more successful so that the people who don't support us are more annoyed by us we can make that part of our ambition Th- there you go that's our mission statement and on that note see you next time all right Catch you later. If you find what we're doing useful and you like this podcast, please do like, share and subscribe and give us a review on iTunes.